Welcome again to everyone. Yeah, I want to uh, just <clears throat> provide an introduction to our guest speaker this morning. Pastor Chuck Porter is from Minnesota. He's part of our apostolic team, along with Greg Miller and <clears throat> Ben Goodman. And Chuck was my first pastor coming out of university and really impacted my life. He's a veteran minister, been in the ministry for 45 years. And we specifically asked him to come this weekend to speak to us and to encourage us as a congregation. As you know, a month ago, I shared that I'll be stepping down from my senior pastorate. And as a result, <clears throat> we're now in the search phase. Chuck is really going to bring some wisdom for us. And one of the things that's important in how we frame this position is that we've referred to, particularly in our E1 class, how we are an Antioch church. And an Antioch church is a, is a model church that's given to us in the New Testament and we talk about this specifically uh, as we're coming into Five Stones in that E1 class. But Chuck is going to provide us a really in-depth, inspirational profile of what it means to be a missions church, uh, an Antioch church. And Chuck has just wonderful, wonderful insight into this. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what he says. So let's welcome uh, Pastor Chuck to come on up and share. I send you greetings from Minnesota. There's a foot of snow in my yard as I speak. Praise God. I'm looking forward to going back home to that snow. March can be our snowiest month, actually. So I'm really looking forward to another foot coming. I looked at Rich's snowblower. I, I kind of chuckled. I said, what is that? But anyway, uh, I got a pretty big snowblower that's pretty strong. So, uh, yeah, glad to be here, really. Had a great time yesterday, uh, Friday night. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this church and the journey that this church is on. And we thank you that this is the church you started, you are caring, and you will finish. Help me, Lord, to articulate what's important to you today in your right tone. I pray for hearts to receive and for an impartation, for a grace to come in Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, uh, go to Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> In the first part of Acts, it's kind of the story of two churches. And of course, the first one is Jerusalem, and then the second church is Antioch. And Jerusalem never got free in terms of its message for various reasons, which I'm not going to go into now. So God had no intention of using Jerusalem as a world-reaching church. He had to set up what we know as Antioch. Now, that's the work, but you also have the worker. And God has workers that carry out the work. And it's very important that whatever worker you have they are, they are in sync with that work. They don't go cross-current. 
I'll use this phrase where Paul, in speaking of his spiritual son, Timothy, he's got a kindred spirit. That's what you're after, okay? Now, I know you're in a transition, and you're searching and searching. Trust me, the Holy Spirit's got that all really set up. He's in perfect rest, and he knows the right worker to join the work. So be in peace. Uh, you want to evaluate according to his ways and his heart and his principles. Now, Paul got saved in 34 AD, and he went three years into Arabia shortly after that, came back to Jerusalem for the first time. In Jerusalem, he's there for maybe no more than a month, maybe six weeks. He spends two weeks with Peter, and then the guy that really helps him is a guy by the name of Barnabas. That's a crucial guy in the life of Paul. Encouragement is what Barnabas means. And then Paul is sent to Tarsus for eight years. While he's there, which will be a very painful time, by the way, his father rejects him, his family rejects him. He's out eight years. His ministry's not happening. He's, he's a worker being fashioned and formed out there. That's why in the temple... When it was built, there was no sound in the temple because the stones are fashioned and shaped somewhere else. And, and so then Acts 10, Acts 11, now God begins to move because God and the gospel is not about Jews only, it's about Jews and Gentiles. Peter opens the door first in the house of a guy by the name of Cornelius. And then there's this massive scattering resulting after the death of Stephen. And so believers are starting to make our way. So we pick up our story now in Acts 11, verse 19. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. All right, there it is. Speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. So they're still under that kind of restriction. Even though Peter opened the door a bit, it wasn't really blasted open. But some of them, men of Cyprus, who came to Antioch, began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord. Now, when that happens, bam, there is a massive outpouring of grace. Now, when you hear the word grace, think of Jesus. That's all grace is. The very life of Jesus Christ himself. It's the power of God. It's the ability of God. It's, it's what God can do that you and I will never do. That's why we need it. And so the grace of God is, is rocking Antioch, and Greeks are coming in by the hundreds, if not, well, hundreds for sure, and and so this gets down to Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem at this point, they consider themselves headquarters. And so Jerusalem says to Barnabas, go and check this thing out. And so Barnabas comes, verse 22, and the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they went, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Now, he's brother encourager, right? Uh, and then when he had come and witness the grace of God. The key word there is witness, meaning when Barnabas 
saw this church, he observed something that was very compelling. Wow. You can almost use the word magnetic. Uh, strong. He witnessed something that we call the grace of God. The ability of God was on the loose. It was unleashed fully. Why? Because God has a heart not for Jew only, but also Gentile. And so he just encourages them. That's what he does. And with resolute heart, he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord. He's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Evidently, when Barnabas joined his anointing with their anointing, there was another kind of explosion of growth and people being impacted. Now, Barnabas, his brother encourager, it's been many years, but all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to work in Barnabas and he begins to think about Paul. Hmm. I'm not sure if he heard a bit of Paul's burden when Paul first met him so long ago now in Jerusalem. But Barnabas is really compelled by the Spirit of God to leave Antioch and go find the worker. And he wants to bring, you talk about a search committee, and that word in the original, it says, and when he found him, he was really hidden. The idea there is it took him a while to find him. Now, Paul, <laughs> he's been broken. He's been beaten. He was scourged in his hometown synagogue that he grew up in. His father just blew him off, considered him a blasphemer. During that time, by the way, quick, I can't get into it, he gets caught up to the third heaven, and he sees things no man has seen, he hears things no man has heard. What, what, what Paul gets is the gospel of grace in its highest, purest revelation. So strong, he will write later in Romans, according to my gospel, everybody will be judged. Paul had it. He saw it. And he saw the mystery hidden for all eternity that the Jew and the Greek would become one new man as a result of Calvary. That's what the new covenant is, right? Paul saw it. So Barnabas, he, he, he just has this Holy Ghost search committee anointing on him, and he goes, finds this worker to join some other very key leaders, which if we have time this morning, we'll get to that. And so Paul comes, and here's what I want you, I really want you to see this now. The first experience of corporate church life for Paul in all of its beauty, purity, power, and passion is Antioch. And that is deeply ingrained in his ministerial <laughs> DNA. 
And whenever or wherever he goes to start what we call churches, he's just going to replicate what he's already experienced. If you have a local church that is not in a place where it can be replicated or should be replicated, then don't even go. What's the point? Right? That's why God, in effect, put a muzzle on Jerusalem. He didn't want that replicated. Because rep, uh, Jerusalem had a mixed message. It didn't have a pure grace message. It was always riddled with grace and law. So Paul comes for a year and is totally meshed in, knit heart to heart with guys like Barnabas, Luke, he's called Lucius in Acts 13, uh, Simeon, a black man from Africa, probably carried the cross in the Gospels for Jesus. Menean, who grew up in Herod's household, was a total pagan, went to Rome, indulged in the Roman ways, comes from kind of high-level cultural society, and then he gets saved, so now he's part of the mix. Barnabas and Paul, there's five guys there in Acts 13. What did Barnabas witness? What did he observe that was so compelling? What was that work manifesting? So I'm looking at this verse 23, or is it 22? And, and, and he witnessed, oh, where am I? Come on, Chuck. 23, when he witnessed the grace of God. I, I've read that verse for decades, and then all of a sudden I said, Lord, what did he see? What did he see? And almost within seconds, five three sixteens just came into my heart. Now that's kind of subjective, so I'm submitting it to you. Uh, but I, the grace of God is something that can be observed. That's my point. It's not this ethereal, mysterious. It's it's real. It's got reality to it. So what did he see? And, and it just came, you, now you're going to have to trust me. It sounds like a used car salesman, eh? Trust me, this is really a good vehicle. This will work. This will work. <laughs> Don't worry about that noise. Forget about it. Add a little oil. Relax. John 3.16. Luke 3.16. Acts 3.16. Joel 3.16. And Exodus 3.16. Some of those verses, I didn't even know what was there, so you're kind of trembling, right? So let's start with John. This is what he observed. John 3.16. Come on, church. Help me. For he saw love. He saw love. He saw the Father's love. Now, when Paul joins the mix, he brings with him a revelation of sonship. The Father heart of God. You know, Paul's the only apostle that had revelation of sonship, Romans 8. Come on, Galatians 4, it's right there. Sonship. And Paul later on will write some pretty awesome scriptures like Ephesians 1. Hey, by the way, your Father who loves you adopted you before the foundations of the world. Whoa. 
would you say if you're the other four leaders in Antioch, it, the, the brother's bringing some serious revelation. I like that. Kind of deep, really. Well, if you're eight years being persecuted and having the tar beat out of you, broken, and spending a lot of time with God and getting caught up in the spirit, you'd get some serious revelation as well. And so the, the love of the Father. Uh, Paul had this also... Remember when he gets saved and he's in that room for three days fasting, he's kind of blind and he's totally upside down and he's fearful and he's excited and it's all mixed bag and this guy comes in and the first thing Ananias does is he touches Paul before he speaks to Paul. And then the first word out of his mouth is what? Brother. Can you see it? Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Come on, five stones. The love of God. Who are we going to welcome? Well, everybody. You mean even the people that don't seem to have their act together? I'm probably looking at some who initially came that didn't all have your act together. Is that a fair enough statement? That's the point. He saw the love of God, that father heart of God, that welcoming. It's the same father in the prodigal son story who's just waiting, looking. And then when he sees him come, he just leaps into a run, shouts of joy, compassion, weeping, and oh, let's throw a party and have some spiritual fun. For God so loved the world that he, oh, it was a giving church. Giving church. Just a spirit of giving, a spirit of liberality. Um, it's beyond finances. It's finance is certainly part, very giving financially, giving of their time, giving of their talents, giving of their living space, if needed. It's just a giving church. Number two, Luke 3.16. How about if we go there, Luke 3.16. Of course, this is a prophecy about Jesus from John the Baptist. And it's, it's John basically saying, hey, I baptize you with water, but hang on, hang on. There's somebody coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Come on, the Antioch church was absolutely filled with the Holy Ghost. And as soon as you came in, and this, this I, I grieve over this sometimes. I go to spirit-filled churches, and there's no proactive setup for newcomers to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Be aggressive and proactive on everyone that comes, visits, does the thing, and then finally says, hey, I'm in. Great. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Many of them will say, well, I haven't even heard. What are you talking about? Well, 
All right, come on over. Now, Paul didn't rebuke those disciples in Acts 19 that he stumbled on in Ephesus. He didn't criticize them. There's no question they're saved, but they never heard. It's so sad. So many churches, the people never hear. Be a church, Five Stones, where people hear regularly, consistently, and about as soon as possible when they make this your church home. Now let's make sure you're baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and speaking in tongues. Do I have to speak in tongues? Yes. Um, Rich and I, you're allowed to speak in tongues. If you can speak in tongues, why wouldn't you? Because that's a doorway a gift to all the other nine gifts. That speaking and praying in the Spirit will take you in levels of worship that your English singing can't take you. It'll do all kinds of wonderful things. That's why Paul says in Corinthians 14, when you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. That's the only gift that does that. No, I don't force, obviously. You're allowed to. Uh, it's very simple, by the way. Breathe in right now and talk at the same time. Go for it. Come on, try it. Seriously. <laughs> Breathe in and talk at the same time. See, that's all speaking is, is your hot air coming out. That's all it is. Air, wind, breath, pneuma, it's all the same. And so for me to speak in tongues is just releasing heaven's Dynamite, hot air in the form of words. So he saw a church that was really filled with the Spirit of God and with fire. Now, when you hear the word fire, what words would you use in addition to just fire in describing that? What comes to mind? Fire. Say again. Hot. Good. It's a hot church. None of that lukewarm nonsense, right? It's a hot church. Not cold. Good grief. How can you be cold if you got the fire of God? What other what word would come to your mind when you hear fire? Fire. A church on fire. Bright. Bright? Okay. Like those bright lights that are shining in my eyes? Praise God. How about passion? How about zeal? How about purity? How about a house of prayer on fire for the nations? It was filled with the Spirit of God, and it was on fire. I'm looking at my timer here. I'm not doing too bad. Praise God. Brother Rich, the Holy Spirit's helping me. He was, he was part of the church I used to pastor when I would speak an hour and a half. I'm not joking. We're not going an hour and a half. This would spill over into the next service, wouldn't it? Number three, Acts 3.16. Acts 3.16. Acts 3.16. 
There's a couple of major things here you, you want to see in Acts 3. Acts 3.16. Now, this is right in the middle of this incredible, wonderful, awesome story of a guy who's been crippled from birth, never walked. That's all he knows how to do is beg. He's actually pretty good at it. That's how he gets tomorrow's lunch, is just by holding his cup up. Alms for the poor, for the crippled. Jesus, by the way, passed by that guy a number of times. Question, why did he leave him? Well, he left him for this day in Acts 3. I don't have time to get into the mysterious sovereignty of God, but Jesus left him for this day. So Peter and John are coming with a little entourage of believers, by the way. Stephen probably in the mix, kind of watching with eyes wide open, woo. And, and there he is. He's not even looking up. He's just got a cup that he holds up. And Peter says, look at me. So he looks up. And the first thing out of his mouth is negative, as far as he's concerned. Kind of a downer. What good are you? Silver and gold, I have none. But what I have, I can give. What do you have, Peter? I have the name of Jesus. I have the name of Jesus. Now, I can't go into this teaching, but in the Bible, the name of Jesus is the same as the character of Jesus. So Peter's not taking the name of the Lord in vain. He's not using it as a magic genie, rub the lamp, hope something happens. He's a broken man. In order to use the name of Jesus effectively, Calvary has had to do a number on your heart. And the character of Jesus is being, you know, hey, that's what Christianity is all about, isn't it? It's all about, <coughs> it's all about Jesus. It's not about Chuck. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified. I'm no longer alive, even though I appear to be really alive. It's, but it's an ongoing process. See, God doesn't want to repair you. He wants to replace you. He doesn't want to repair you. He wants to kill you. Welcome to true Christianity. This is what the cross does, because then the cross, the replacement is my pathetic character replaced with his character. And that's an ongoing process. I get it. But the more that character of Christ is worked into your life, the more your prayers carry weight the more the name of Jesus unleashes results. So that's what he says. Look at Acts 3, verse 16. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in, presence, in the presence of you all. The name of Jesus, a real thing, an explosive, powerful, anointed, unleashing. 
Silver and gold? I don't have. All of what that represents, man-made, systems of man, um, you know, we got a thing going on in America now. Uh, one guy's trying to buy the election. Silver and gold I don't have. Now, I understand God uses money and just see the principle here. Don't be a church rich in silver and gold. Be a church saturated and rich with the reality of the name of Jesus Christ. We sang about it today, but it's got to go more than a song. It's part of our lifestyle. So help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I mean, I'm squirming like anybody else when the cross begins to do its work. But the name of Jesus. The other thing that you have in this thing, of course, is a whole issue of repent, change your mind, change your way of thinking. It's a house. The grace of God brings repentance. The grace of God brings godly repentance. Religious repentance, that won't get you anywhere. The grace of God brings you godly repentance that will change your life. It's all it is is change, stop thinking that way. Remember when Jesus says to uh, the, the people in Mark 1, repent and believe. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Jewish people who are trying to earn their way to heaven, follow the law, follow the rules, get that self-righteous thing going, build your tower of Babel and have a zeal and be passionate about it and try to establish your own righteousness. Stop thinking that way. Repent and believe. Do you see it? And Peter's basically saying the same thing to kind of the same kind of people. Jerusalem, they're steeped in law, they're steeped in Moses. Repent, repent and return. Oh boy, would I love to be in a church where the grace of God is so strong that it unleashes the gift of repentance and the grace ability to return. Come on home. That's what the prodigal son did. Come on home. Papa's waiting for you. And that times of refreshing, repent, return, refresh, may come from the presence of the Lord. Antioch was filled with presence. It was getting refreshed. Don't you love when you go to church? Hey, you're kind of down. You're kind of bumming. The week's been a disaster. And you come and the presence of God is thick. The word of the Lord is pure. And you leave refreshed. You know that word refreshed? The Greek there has the idea of a cool breath. It also has the idea of a recovery of breath. You know, have you ever lost your breath because of whatever, running around, running around, you're kind of, and you need to recover your breath. Wow. I, I, I'd sign up for a church like that. Love of God, giving, Holy Spirit, fire, purity, name of Jesus, really effective, repentance, refreshing. Joel 3.16, Joel 3.16, this is 
the prophet, of course. I, Rich, I guess you're going. Have you got to Joel yet, Rich? Where am I here, Joel? I like I like those little tabs. You know, you got three books right there. You know where Joel is? Page seven ninety one. Joel three verse sixteen. I I I so love. And the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth tremble, but the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. The Lord roars. This to me is just another way of stating the prophetic is really powerful coming out of Jerusalem. I think Barnabas heard a roar. I think he saw a lot of people prophesying on a consistent, regular basis. How many in the church does God want to prophesy? That means you're not off the hook. Well, we're going to wait till Greg and Ben come. No, no, don't even go there. That's a whole separate thing. How many of you are to prophesy in the church? Everyone. You say, brother, that's kind of ideal. I, I, yeah, hello. Now, why would Paul say in his churches that he started, which was his pattern wherever he went, I want you to all prophesy. I want you to all prophesy. Why would he say that? It's very practical. It's very pastoral. In order to prophesy, what do you have to do? Well, you probably have to seek the Lord. <laughs> it might be a good idea uh, to confess any sin so you can hear better. It means, it, sister, what's your first name? Deborah. Deborah? Oh, I like that. Deborah. She was pretty. She was pretty. I got a daughter named Deborah. If I tell Deborah next Sunday, you got to come and you got to prophesy in the house. She probably. What is Deborah going to do during the week? Probably seek God. Amen? Spend time with the Lord. Maybe be like Mary, sit at Jesus' feet. Cap all that's all prophecy is, is spending time with God, capturing the heart of God, and then out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. That's what it is. So if you want to prophesy to five stones, say, God, give me your heart for five stones. Don't ask for a word. Ask for his heart. If you get his heart, everything flows. If you want to prophesy... Sister, what's your name? Candace. Candace? I had a cheerleader in high school who was named Candace. <laughs> if I want to prophesy to Candace, Lord, give me your heart. Give me your heart for Candace. And out of that abundance of getting his heart for his daughter, you speak. And God wants everyone in the house to do that. Song of the Lord coming more and more. Prophetic, spontaneous. Go for it. Launch, sister, just launch. <laughs> the roar of the lion of Judah is in the house. So you keep cultivating that. You keep sowing into that. You keep, I mean, good grief. When Paul comes in to that Antioch mix of those other four leaders plus the whole house, I mean, it's almost like you can't get to the front fast enough. 
Everybody's coming up with a revelation. Everybody's coming up with... Now remember, Corinthians and all that other stuff, he's replicating what he experienced in Antioch. It was so life-giving. The word of the Lord is unleashed in the roar of the lion. Don't you love, what's the name of that? Chronicles of Narnia, is it? Anselm? I mean, that roar, I mean, it, it sends shudders throughout the entire, and, and that prophetic word, when you unleash a corporate prophetic word, you can actually speak to the heavenlies. You can speak to the demonic structures over the city. Why? Because God does everything by his word. Everything. That's why it's so precious and such a premium priority for a local church that would dare to take on the title Antioch. Because that's a, that's a precious name to heaven, Antioch. Wow. First global reaching, church planning, continent shaking church, Antioch. Jerusalem, they go out because they get persecuted. Antioch, they go out because they get revelation. Exodus 3, verse 16. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but that's just Moses being called. He's being called to his calling, his ministry. And Moses, I want you to go back to the world, Egypt, and I want you to go rescue a bunch of slaves, and set them free. It's just a beautiful picture of evangelism, rescue mission, church planting. You know, church planting is the number one most effective way of evangelism there is. And, and so there's a burden for the lost in Antioch. There's a passion for the lost. It's not just vertical it's horizontal. It's not just into intense, passionate worship and prophesying and, and just edifying ourselves, but staying kind of inward. No, there's going to always also be that burden of the Lord that wants to reach out. That's why Jesus, when he would go into a community, would you say he impacted that community? There's the grace of God, right? Okay. How many would show up? Sometimes the whole community would show up where he was staying. And then what would he do? Leave. Lord, this is a pretty good outreach going here. No, there's others that yet need to hear. Copenhagen. Ooh, I don't know where else. Five Stones is going to go. That's the beauty of David and... Dealing with Goliath, it's you're moving and flowing, and, and so Exodus 3.16. So there it is. I'm submitting it to you, and I know it's subjective, and it's kind of, that's what I got, so whatever. You can blow it off, you can, but I think there was a church of love, there was a church of the Spirit, there was a church of the name of Jesus, presence. There was prophetic. There was evangelism. I don't know. Can we all agree? That would be a pretty good church to be a part of.
vibrant, alive. Now, what happens is Paul comes for a year. How are we doing here, Rich? Let me look at my thing. Three minutes. All right. <laughs> Say amen. We're getting this we're getting this in. I got a little bit PS spillover. So what happens is famine comes to Jerusalem. Jerusalem churches always have famine. Struggle. So Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem, and if you read your Bible careful, they go the, the last verse of Acts 11, and then the last verse of Acts 12, they go back to Antioch. So they're there in Jerusalem the entire time the events in chapter 12 unfold. Very impacting, by the way, for a future Antioch church. It's the story of two guys, James and Peter. What happens to James? He loses his head. Herod gets all fired up, and he arrests Peter, and come on, church, you've got to agree with me here. Peter, there's no reason for Peter to believe other than the fact, well, it's my turn. And the night before he's to lose his head, he's asleep in a prison, chained, and, of course, the angel. Now, Paul and Barnabas are in that prayer meeting, and they're watching these events unfold. And now they're walking back to Antioch, the last verse of chapter 12. It's a month walk, 40 days, 30 to 40. Isn't that amazing? I heard a lot of good things about James. He dies. I heard a lot of stories about Peter. Some good, some bad. He gets delivered. And then Paul and Barnabas will start saying things like, you know, I just got this ache, this burden. I just got something inside of me. You know, as much as I love Antioch, as much as I love what's going on in Antioch, it's like something inside of me wants to go. I got the same thing, brother. All right. I think God's calling us to go. Let's sit on it. Let's keep it just between the two of us. So they come back to, to Antioch, and they just mesh into church life, and they do what Antioch does a lot. They just minister to the Lord a lot. And that's another issue we can't go into in any kind of depth, but the tabernacle of David is strong big time in Antioch. Tabernacle of David. They know how to minister to the Lord. They know how to be a priest. If you're really an effective priest, you'll really go into some serious prophetic. And if you're really flowing in the prophetic, you're going to end up with a real kingly anointed. There you go. See? Let's all blame Rich, class. That's kind of irritating, isn't it? Can you see what, can you imagine what Peter would have done with that cell phone right about now? Amen. All right. So they mesh into church life. You read in Acts 13. They're ministering to the Lord. They're pressing into God. They're fasting. They're seeking God. And then the prophetic roar is unleashed, set apart. Paul, Barnabas, to the work to which I have, past tense, 
called them. That kind of directional, powerful, prophetic word should always be confirming. That would have been the first time they heard that. Stop. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. But it was confirming what they had already heard. And then they're launched on a two-year journey for the ages. Antioch, there it is. Five stones. Praise God. Father, in Jesus' name, may the grace of God go stronger and stronger and stronger in five stones. We bless this search under the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you bring, you add the right worker. And we are picky. We will be precise. We're asking, Lord, for your ultimate perfect choice. We will not settle for good at the expense of best. So we're willing to wait if it goes beyond any natural timetables and we submit it, and I know their hearts, we submit it to the ultimate lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, the message that Chuck brought us today does two things for us as a church. Number one, crystallizes and it speaks to our identity as a church. When we talk about being in an Antioch church, that gives us a fuller picture about what we're passionate about and the way we go about cultivating church life. The second thing is that with regard to the transition, we know that there's a natural job description that we're going to put out there, but this helps us to gain what the spiritual job description needs to be, that the, the leader that comes in uh, needs to understand that these are the, the DNA, these are the things that we live and breathe, and, and that helps us to hone in on the right people. So we're not just sort of out there trying to, you know, cast our net and find the right person, but we have a very specific goal that we're aiming for, and, and this kind of spiritual job description is so helpful for us. It's wisdom from God so that we can cultivate that kindred spirit that we want in the next leader. So, Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for what you're doing uh, in our church. We ask, Holy Spirit, you continue to lead us and guide us, that the spirit of wisdom would be upon us, the spirit of joy would be in the house, that you continue to grow us and make us strong for the glory of Jesus. And we thank you now in your name. Amen. Amen. Blessings and have a great week.